Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests. And I'm glad you're here. You'll find hundreds of episodes of Out of the Fog waiting for you to stream at anchor.fm slash out of the fog and wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to rate and review if you feel so moved. And you can look for me on Instagram and Facebook where I'm Fog City Psychic. If you follow the hashtag out of the fog radio, you'll be in the loop with all this radio goodness, plus photos of Maisie the puppy. How can we resist her and jigsaw puzzles and knitting delight and more radio goodness. Now then, what can a 14th century English mystic teach us about living through times of pandemic and turbulence? Mirabai Starr is my guest today, and she's here to help us see how Julian of Norwich's revelations of divine love bring sacred feminine wisdom and an invitation to respond with an open heart in even the most difficult circumstances. Are you ready to meet her? Mirabai Starr is an award-winning author of creative nonfiction and contemporary translations of sacred literature. She taught philosophy and world religions at the University of New Mexico, Taos, for 20 years, and now teaches and speaks internationally on contemplative practice and interspiritual dialogue. A certified bereavement counselor, Mirabai helps mourners harness the transformational power of loss. Her book, Wild Mercy, Living the Fierce and Tender Wisdom of the Women Mystics, was named one of the best books of 2019. And The Showings, a new edition of her contemporary translation of Julian of Norwich's Revelations of Divine Love, will be released in a few days. And this new edition features a foreword by Father Richard Rohr. Mirabai lives with her extended family in the mountains of northern New Mexico. And you can find out more about her and her work at Mirabai Star. Mirabai, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thank you so much, Karen. Thanks for the invitation. I'm very glad you're here. I wonder what your definition of a mystic is. Mm, Good starting place, Karen. Um, Hello, everyone. You know, I, I think you are, and most of you listening probably are mystics. Like, I want to get that that out first thing that there's this we have this lofty concept of what a mystic is and it's usually something completely other than what we think we are Mm -hmm. you know that we elevate certain beings as enlightened or or um, masters or gurus or saints and don't realize that what a mystic really is is someone who has a direct experience of the sacred that's kind of the classical definition, right? A mystic is someone who has a direct experience of the divine that, that is unmediated through customary channels like other people, you know, ordained representatives, priests and rabbis and so on, but also through a particular kind of um, spiritual methodology or or membership, you know, uh, 
I, I get to God through my church or something. So a mystic has a direct felt and transformational experience of the divine in her or his or their own body. And, and I think really the overwhelming mm, takeaway from that direct experience of, of communion is love. It's mm-hmm. that a mystic is someone who actually has a communion experience of love, of being one with the one, but in a field of love. And, and it changes everything. And those moments happen to us on a regular basis if we're, if we're awake to them. And that those experiences don't often happen in the moments when everything's fantastic and we're just sitting around thinking about how lucky we are. And then all of a sudden, bam, mystical experience. I'm not sure that's how that works. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know why she designed it that way, but I agree (laughs) (laughs) that it's, it's often in moments of, of trauma, sorrow, heartbreak, um, suffering of any kind, illness, loss, that, the veils are kind of peeled away and we get to glimpse that underlying radiance that in spite of, and sometimes actually as a result of our shattering experience, we're given access to this sacred something that, that when everything's just kind of going along, as, as you're indicating, Karen, we might not have, you know, have a portal open the way it does in those in those moments for the listeners who haven't yet met her who is julian of norwich because she had her life broken up in two exactly she's a perfect example of what you're talking about and and yet she has the most radical radically optimistic theology of any mystic i've ever encountered Hmm. so Julian, uh, that's not even her real name. We don't know what her real name is. Like so many people in the Middle Ages, she she chose to be anonymous. But we call her Julian of Norwich because of the uh, anchor hold. She was an anchoress. That is someone who enclosed herself in a cell for the remainder of her life once once she made that choice when she was in her 30s uh, in order to just live a life of prayer and, and contemplation. And that cell was attached to the Church of St. Julian in Norwich, England. Um, So Julian was a young woman when she had a near-death experience. And some of you have have had your own brushes with death, so you know how powerfully transformational that can be. It's important to realize that Julian lived in a time of the plague, the Black Death that swept through Europe and and eradicated some some people estimate up to 50% of the population mm. which means that half of the people Julian knew and loved died and so when we meet her she's 30 years old she's on her deathbed this she she writes about this and very there's very little autobiographical information but she does tell us that when she has these visions on her deathbed her in her near-death experience she's um she's dying from some unknown cause it's not the plague because the plague didn't spare anybody uh, but she's very very ill and and seems that her life force is fading away completely 
her mother, the only other person we know about, calls for a priest to administer last rites. And Julian indicates that at this point in her life, she had nothing left to live for, which is why I suspect, and I know a lot of people um, share this with me, that she was grieving mm -hmm. the loss probably of her husband, her partner, and at least one child. As, as a bereaved mother myself, my 14-year-old daughter Jenny was killed in a car accident at the end of 2001. I, I can recognize um, when I'm in the presence of another bereaved mother. There's something about that the quality of um, anguish that seeps through you know her words so there she was dying the her mother calls for the priest the priest comes and holds a crucifix above julian's face and says gaze upon christ on the cross as you take your last breaths and you will you will go straight to him and what happens i don't have to tell you the whole story now but is that christ comes alive for Julian and gives her a series of revelations, which she calls showings. And that was later named the revelations of divine love, because like any good mystic, that's that was the core of her mystical experience was, was love. And rather than the judgment or anger or mm, limit that, someone might expect to see if they're told to look on the cross and be saved from going to hell. Julian found a different kind of world opening up to her. Yes. Yes. It's, it's true. Um, okay. So first full disclosure, I am not, uh, I w I'm not someone I would call a Christian. I am a Jew uh, with a Hindu guru and a Buddhist meditation practice and initiation into a couple of different Sufi orders um, who has been schooled by the indigenous people of Taos, New Mexico, where I live. Uh, but I also love Christ and love the teachings of the Christian mystics and have been greatly honored by translating the Spanish mystics, St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila, 16th century Spanish mystics. So I'm, I'm kind of an interspiritual being who loves Christ. So I just want to, I want to name that before I go on to address this question of the, the wrath or retro, retributive uh, quality of, of God that so many people in the Judeo-Christian traditions uh, have inherited and this notion of Christ suffering on the cross for our sins and all of that is kind of alien to me but Julian speaks my heart language because what she's saying is what because what she um, received directly from Christ as a gift is that Christ is actually a mother our mother the universal unconditionally loving mother God who breaks herself open and pours herself out for love of her children, that that incarnation itself is an act of motherly love. And I just, oh, I just resonate so much with that. It doesn't matter what your religious orientation is, that great mother love 
is something I think people of all genders thirst for. And yes, the, the underlying message is you are exactly right, exactly as you are. That there is not anything about you that I, as your mother, would wish to change. And yes, I know you mess up sometimes. That's baked into the cake of the human condition. You're going to miss the mark, uh, which is the, the literal translation of the Hebrew verb to sin. And when you do mess up, you suffer the consequences of that mark missing <laughs> and it's it feels terrible and you have to adjust and you have to make reparations and and all of that happens it's a consequence of the you know being in the human condition so why would i your unconditionally loving mother then later in some afterlife punish you for what you've already suffered in this life i love you and i know you'll come home to me such a potent message I'm thinking of the times we live in where we are not inward looking, where we are looking out, we're looking at ourselves in opposition to other people. We're looking at um, our differences and our reactivity. And it's hard sometimes to feel and hear that energy of the divine as mother the divine accepting us, the divine kind of uh, washing over being part of everything that's going on. And this for me is part of why Julian's message is so powerful because it's about a love that transcends all the hatred and nonsense and cruelty that we put out in the world. Mm, yes, it's very... Uh, encouraging to hear Julian affirm because Christ the mother told her so <laughs> that everything is rooted in this in this love as she says from before time began to long after anything we understand is over that it's all it's all about love and yet Karen and all of you friends it's not a blind optimism that Julian is is promoting you know it's rooted in her direct experience of the human condition her her reality as a as a daughter and a mother and a and a lover and um, a, a member of her community even when she chose to live in an anchor hold even when she became an anchoress which was not that uncommon in the middle ages people who wanted to live a life of prayer would withdraw from the world she wasn't a hermit when she lived in that cell she had a window that opened onto the busy city streets of Norwich and she opened that window for certain hours every day to receive visitors they they would come to the window and they would talk she would offer spiritual direction spiritual companionship probably exchange gossip you know and maybe they'd give her goodies to eat it was a an active involvement in community while also living a life that was in interiorly focused the other window on the other side of her cell opened onto the church where she could participate in in mass receive communion 
and be involved in in the church life as as well so and also it said that she had a cat i know karen you have a new puppy so you can relate to that and the, the love as many of you can that we can share with our non-human companions that the new cover of this new edition of julian of norwich um the my translation of the showings features julian holding her beloved cat and the cat when you if you get a hold of this book you will see that the cover is an icon you know in the in the um orthodox christian tradition icons are so much more than than a work of art they are a transmission right you when you gaze at an icon as my dear friend father bill mcnichols a great iconographer um, says the icon gazes back at you and on the cover of this new edition of the showings julian is gazing at you with this fierce feminine knowingness wisdom and and courage and humor and all of it in in this single gaze but the cat has an equally powerful gaze that you can you can share with oh i love it when she chose so it was after those visions that she chose to make that commitment um to go into the cell is is that right that's right yeah go ahead was it was it to hmm, spend more time in prayer and vision with with those visions or was it part of the way she might have thought her life was going to go anyway that's a beautiful question i've been thinking about that lately myself um i think it was because she needed time and space to unpack the magnitude of what she had been given mm. there were 17 of these visions and when she first had them and she miraculously recovered from her illness the first thing she did was she wrote them all down verbatim as she recalled them and that's called in the literature that's known as the short text but then she enclosed herself as an anchoress i feel largely in order to really meditate on each of these showings and the kind of evolution the trajectory that they brought her uh, through and she says over and over again in this longer version it's called the long text the one that i translated that these visions these showings were not given to me for myself or not at least at least not for myself alone but for all beings and she took that that charge very seriously so that i think is why she spent all those years writing the long text and and reflecting on each of these showings with a deepening wisdom over time and there's i i know that marjorie kemp who's another if we ever do an out of the fog series on english female mystics i have loved um i know that marjorie kemp writes about coming to see julian mm -hmm. um being outside that window and talking with her there's a way in which as i'm looking for things we can bring into our present experience a present experience maybe a feeling a bit isolated there's a way in which julian from that small space was a light for other people and other people were a light for her how do you feel about the kinds of light that 
people who love the divine, who are seeking source, who feel, who, who have mystical experience in their own life, how can we be a light for other people now? Mm. What a beautiful question. Yeah, this is, I mean, by any standards, our current age is, um, incredibly tumultuous and challenging and fraught and we are all plunged into a kind of chaos a not knowing a disintegration of all of the systems and structures that we've relied upon for any kind of sense of normalcy but the mystics of all traditions invite us into the heart of unknowing of the pregnant fertile mystery as it unfolds independent of our opinions on the matter, right? And so I think the first step for us to, to stand in the light that we are and that we can be for others is to be willing to not know, to look to the, to the example of luminaries like Julian of Norwich or the guy down the street at the 7-Eleven uh, who who you buy your Coca-Cola from, who has this look of knowingness and light in his face, you know, whoever. My point being that that the great mystics and sages and luminaries are sometimes hidden and sometimes known. Mm-hmm. But I think what they all share is a, is a kind of radical humility and a, and a willingness to not be in control, to not have all the answers. It's the paradox of the mystical path is that we know by unknowing, as my beloved 16th century Spanish mystic John of the Cross always says, we know by unknowing. And this is our willingness uh, to take the risk, to step into this field of chaos right now of apocalypse even with our hearts open um, humble and willing to be together and and be a source of of love in this world without having it all figured out i think this is this there's something in that (laughs) and like like all of this it's not easy um, there's a way of, I think, reading Julian and thinking about Julian, like, oh, how easy. Oh, she's happy. Oh, it's all good. We're okay. And I think it's what she speaks into is the, the confounded difficulty of living simply, loving often, staying open, not knowing. It's harder than it seems. Hmm. Yes, she says at one point, kind of, I don't know, maybe three quarters of the way, that Christ the mother, Christ at this point she's just freely calling her Christ the mother, says to her, it's not that you're not going to have a hard time. It's that you will not be overcome. Mm -hmm. And to just take heart in, in that, you can do this. You were born for these times. You have exactly what it takes. In Jewish mystical wisdom, it says, that the day we are born, we're imprinted with what is ours to do and be and bring to this world. We already have it. We often judge ourselves thinking that we don't have what it takes, that we're not enough or that we're too much, or in my case, both at the same time. Hmm. But it's exactly who you are. And this is what Julian says, is what you bring to the table right now. 
And that's why Christ said to her many times in the showings, all will be well and all will be well and every kind of thing shall be well. He didn't, she, he, she did not just say it once, but it was a triple, it was a, it was a um, Trinitarian message. There's a lot of Trinitarian concepts in Julian. All will be well and all will be well. And in case you didn't get it the first two times, everything, if we can be present for everything and understand that all of it is sacred, then we are energized to actually step into compassionate action. It's not a spiritual bypass. It's not a way to check out of reality. It's a way to infuse what is with the best of our love and our hope and our care. As we look at the world and the state of the world, I'm often, Julian's often, um, depicted with her cat. She's often also depicted holding the hazelnut. And I wonder if, as I read through this, as I was looking through the book for this interview, I, the hazelnut uh, vision is one of the ones that's always spoken the most to me. Can you talk a little bit about the hazelnut and what it means? Yes. So Julian early on had this vision of a hazelnut in the palm of a hand, her hand, Christ's hand, God's hand. And she looked upon this beautiful little round nut. And she said it was so tiny. And yet I realized that it is everything that exists. All of reality is distilled into the single point of this little round nut in the palm of God's hand. And she wondered, she marveled how it could even continue to exist because it's so small in the vastness of God. And she saw that it exists and will always exist simply because God loves it and therefore would always be rooted in God's love and would, would flourish. Hmm. As you made this translation, Julian's work wasn't, it wasn't till I think about 200 years after she died that, that people started to, um, that the manuscripts became available. As you sat down with her words and were bringing those words kind of then through, through your own voice, your own heart, your own filter, what especially struck you about the way this is written, the way Julian speaks. Mm, well, Julian was the first woman to write in English. She was a contemporary of Chaucer, and English was in many ways still a, a language being birthed at the time. And she coined various various words like "wanting," O N E I N G, wanting, which is it's like becoming one with God, but it's used as a verb and nobody uses it besides Julian. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, but the, what strikes me most, Karen, is that her language was warm, familiar, friendly, loving, uh, unpretentious. It was just down home folksy. I mean, this middle English is a little hard to decipher. It took me, it was a, a lot of effort, but that was the underlying tone of Julian, accessible, warm, loving, friendly, 
non-authoritarian. Why was it a couple hundred years before those men, before we start to see those manuscripts pop up, were they held back for some reason? That's such a good question. We don't really know, but I mean, it's radically subversive stuff that Julian is saying there. She says that literally there is no such thing as sin. Sin is no thing, she says. And then she unpacks for us what she means by that, or really what Christ the mother meant by that. She calls Christ the mother. I mean, all of these things are are just, uh, they could have gotten her killed or anybody who followed her teachings and did at, for many, you know, hundreds of years, teachings like that were, were you know, were, um, that people were killed for less. So it seems that she had, a, that there was a woman who tended her and also was probably her primary disciple, if you will, who encouraged Julian to hide her, her writings under her bed, and she did. And when Julian died, this woman rescued the manuscripts and kept them safe, but so safe that they disappeared as you say, for at least a couple of hundred years. And when they resurfaced in the 19th century, uh, well, I guess it was would have been the 17th century, and then later again in the 19th century, not many people were particularly interested as, you know, women, women spiritual luminaries have never had much of a voice until very recently, and we're still struggling to hear the voices of the feminine that are rising from everywhere, most especially, I would I would suggest on the margins. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was not it was not even interesting to people when they when their manuscripts were were discovered to my great shock. But now, now she is speaking the heart language of so many of us people of all genders are are needing exactly the wisdom that Julian. Julian has and carries. How can the listeners find out more about you and your books and your teaching? Where can they go to find that out? Oh, thank you. You can just Google my name, Mirabai Star, Star with two R's, um, or my website is, is simply mirabaistar.com. Will you write more things for us, please? I mean, no hurry, but like by Thursday, it'd be good. <laughs> I am about to submit a new book proposal this week, actually. So stand by. <laughs> Miravai, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, Karen, what a joy. I can just tell that we are just resonant soul sisters, and I'm sure with all your listeners, too. So thank you. That is Mirabai Star. Her newest book is The Showings of Julian of Norwich, Uncovering the Face of the Feminine in Revelations of Divine Love. That book comes out at the beginning of April, and you can find out more about Mirabai and her work at mirabaistar.com. Get ready, because I'm going to spell, are you ready? M-I-R-A-B-A-I-S-T-A-R-R, Mirabaistar. And of course, you're always welcome over at karenhager.com, where you can get details about upcoming classes and events. You can even book a private session if you're so inclined. Find me on social media where I'm at Fog City Psychic, although really social media is just puppies. It's just all puppy all the time right now. And you can join me and my wife, Kathy, every month, the first Sunday of every month for a free live 15-minute guided meditation that focuses on peace in our hearts and peace in this troubled world, that energy of divine love flowing through everything, no matter what it is, no matter how far apart we get from each other, that energy of divine love is a 
like a stream that's always accessible to us. So if you'd like to gather with us once a month, just to feel into that flowing stream, you can find details at openpeacefulheart.com. And thank you for listening today. Together, we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.